0: Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to sheerclarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey everyone, it's Kevin McHugh here again with another episode of Sheer Clarity, the podcast for leaders who want to become leaders by attraction. Uh, Today I'm excited to be in my backyard. It's always wonderful to uh, to think I'm doing local. And I have with me today, Kim Riley, who is the president of Highland. Highland's a full service uh, organization that's an insurance brokerage. I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about the company and about her role. Um, I've known Kim for quite a while, maybe a decade now, and she's been a very special friend as well as a client. And so I'm really delighted to have her here to tell her story, uh, to share her lessons uh, of leadership. She's got quite a great experience at that. She's been involved in turnarounds and involved in heavily in the community. So I hope we'll just tease all that out through our conversation and um, let everyone enjoy Kim Riley. Welcome.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for having me today, Kevin. I really enjoy our relationship. I've enjoyed how it's developed over the last decade and look forward to chatting today.
0: Yeah, we're going to have a good time. So d- start with a little bit about uh, your day job, you know, tell, <laughs> what, like t- give me now moments. And, um, you know, I'm not sure when we'll air the, the podcast because uh, – I'm going to have a a relaunch sometime in the spring of the the podcast and the brand and all those things. Um, So I'm putting together a nice bundle. I want to get a dozen of these in the bank. So things are changing so quickly. I have no idea what it's going to sound like Mm -hmm. two months from now. So right now um, it's January and um, where are we? And uh, tell us about the day job and maybe if you wanted to touch on what's the... Challenges that you're running across now. And then also a little bit about your background, your bio. I'm going to sit back and enjoy your story because it's a great one.
1: Well, thank you very much. Um, so, a little bit about me um, I've been in the insurance industry for 35 years. It's all I've ever done, um, besides working at Wendy's and Big Bear, who's not around anymore um, throughout college. And um, Insurance is where I've grown up. I grew up on the insurance carrier side, spent 20 years there, and then came over to the brokerage side and have been on the brokerage side for the last 15 years. So proud to be with the Highland company and family. Um, Highland is a fourth generation family-owned business. We have several Highlands in the business with us every day that do what I do every day, which is take care of clients and make sure that's cl- that our clients' most valuable assets are protected, like their buildings and their people and their equipment, especially going through COVID. We've had to be a strategic partner with every one of our clients. And even people who didn't have a good strategic partner on their insurance side have been called calling us saying, can you help me? And we've been there to help those people. So I'm really proud of what our team here at Highland does every single day. Um, 17 offices across the United States. We just opened an office in Los Angeles um, during COVID, which is a little um, strange. Yeah, but um, business has been good, even though we've gone through this cycle. And um, I would say you asked about some challenges I'm facing during this time. I would say the biggest challenge that every leader is facing right now is keeping their culture intact you know the highlands have a very very strong culture we are family owned we are empathetic we we have respect for our employees and and walking through this time when your employees are not sitting beside you every day How do you keep those relationships engaged? How do you keep them all running in the right direction? Um, And so communication has been key. And I think everyone as a leader has had to step up their communication game. I know me personally, I have bad days and good days. And no one thinks a leader has a bad day. Right, You know, when you're an employee, a leader always has good days. Well, we have bad days too. And so we need that communication. And I lean on my employees here in Cleveland to give me positive feedback and to tell me what we need to do different and have that that constructive criticism as we're walking along so we can adjust. And I would say during this time, we had to be flexible. Um, We had to be nimble. We had to pivot. We had to leverage. All those key words were used every single day during this
0: time. When, when, you, uh, when you are alone and you're in those times when you're wondering by yourself, what are the kinds of questions are you, you thinking about? Like, cause I've always felt it's been lonely at the top. I mean, part of the, the podcast is about helping leaders get the idea of being very clear. Mm-hmm. Like who am I, where am I, what's my job, what's my role? And I find during this crisis, um, leaders are really having to use their reflection systems at a high octane. So what kinds of, what challenges you? Like when when you're alone or you're you're thinking about what to do next as a leader, what kinds of things are coming up for you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. For me personally, human interaction was very important to me. Even though I'm an introvert, if you looked at my Myers-Briggs, I really trained myself um, when I stepped into a leadership position that I had to be more extroverted and I had to put myself out there and be vulnerable and have key relationships. And I really... I didn't realize how important that was to me Mm -hmm. until this time came where we're very isolated. And I really, really miss the human interaction. Uh, The guilt I feel also is as a leader, um, as I'm sitting at my desk every day, Zoom call after Zoom call and um, trying to reach out to individual employees, it is hard to touch everybody um, every day. Right. And I th- I feel guilty. Oh, my gosh, I didn't get to that person or that person today. And I, I, I know they feel on the other end, oh, my gosh, Kim didn't reach out to me. In the last three days, she hasn't reached out to me. And then how do you balance that? So when I get into those reflective moments, I try to think about how can I be more efficient at doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's not an efficient process because when you talk to someone, you need to dig in, you need to become empathetic and you need to listen to what what they're dealing with. Right. It can't be just a five-minute call and I move on to the next one. It's not a task on my to-do list. And so how do I how do I take that deeper um, and keep those relationships intact and keep the communication open? That's what I really reflect on a lot. I also during this time. Um, my routines were very, very important. I wanted to be that person that could jump out of bed five minutes before my first call and run to my computer <laughs> and get on and, and not take a shower and not do my hair and not put any makeup on. And it, di- it didn't feel good. Yeah. It just didn't feel good. And I found that I had to go through my routine. I had to get up. I had to do my yoga or workout. I had to go take my shower. I needed to dress. <laughs> um, I I needed to get into my normal routine that would get my head in the game.
0: Right. So for you, it's been w- guilt to me is one of those things leaders rarely talk about, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I have a feeling it's. Kind of a consequence of being high performance we worry about getting all the things done that we should get done mm-hmm. and we feel guilty when we don't and i think it's just the other side of the coin of being a super high responsibility person which is what we're looking for in leaders mm-hmm. um, it would be interesting to to pivot just for the moment um, before we continue i'd like to know more about your life uh growing up and just Let's talk about, I mean, we hit the now moment, got it, got the energy, but boy, tell me about growing up as a kid and, and a little bit more about you just as a human and what's been shaping you, Where are some of your heroes, uh, what are some of your challenges, some of the big times that really helped shape you? Um, and you can do it in a linear way or you can do it sporadically, or if something's popping out right now, just lay it on us. But I want to know a little bit more about the story behind the woman here's right now.
1: Thank you. So I grew up in Springfield, Ohio. My mom and dad met in high school. And I was a high school pregnancy, and they went to church youth group together. So you still <laughs> need to talk to your children. <laughs> and so, um, But they are role models for me because even though that happened, I was the unexpected. My parents are still married today. They're young grandparents, young great-grandparents, Uh-oh. still very involved in our family. They um, were great role models. I would tell you growing up in Springfield, Ohio— I I grew up in a blue-collar world. If you saw Hillbilly Elegy, that was the world I grew up in. Uh, And and so how do you break out of that? For me, I can tell you I went to high school. I can't remember a guidance counselor talking to me about going to college. Not a single time. And so you had to reach deep down and figure out, what am I going to do next? And I can remember the day I was going to go to community college. That was what I chose to do. I sat down with my dad and my dad said, okay, we'll go to the bank and get a student loan so that we can get you to college. And that's what I did. And from there, you know, along the way, mentoring is so big nowadays. But I truly believe that we have hundreds of mentors throughout our life. People that have just touched us All along the way, and they push us, and we don't realize it until they're out of our lives, and so you never get that opportunity to go back and say thank you. So one of my professors at Clark State Community College in Springfield was the ex-mayor of Springfield, Mr. Burton, Dr. Burton, and he pushed me. He saw something in me, and he said, Kim, you're the head of the accounting club. I was an accounting major. What do you want to do? If you could do anything, what would it be? And I said, I want you to take us to New York City. (laughs) I'm a small town Uh, girl. And I said, and he looked at me and he said- if you raise enough money, I will take you all to New York. And he did. We, no I had kidding. the biggest party on campus, <laughs> no, <laughs> raised a lot of money, and he we, he got us a bus. And off we went to New York. We went to the United uh, Nations. We got to see the stock market because it was still open. Yeah. We got to go to Broadway. And wow, were, were my eyes opened at how big the world was. Yeah. So all of, I have all kinds of stories along my career of people that have touched me and have pushed me way out of my comfort zone and challenged me. And then you have to think about it, and then you jump at that challenge. Now, have I been successful at every single one of those challenges? No. Successful people fail a lot more than they succeed. Um, But you got to take the risk. And that's what I would tell young people today. Jump and take some risk in your career and in your life. Take some risk and see where it can go because those are when you have the biggest growing opportunities as an individual, I believe.
0: Could not agree more. The theme that um, interviews have had uh, over the course of the – I think I'm maybe approaching 15 of these now. I mean, the podcast is less than a year old or just over a year old, I should say. But almost every guest is a CEO and they speak in this terminology Mm -hmm. of – Risk and leaping and growing and failure, Mm -hmm. and ultimately the awareness of that it's okay to fail. Did that come? Did you feel that when you were young? Um, was that an encouragement that you got from your folks to try to try and it's okay to fail? Because I wonder at times in the contemporary society. Um, we hear about the next generation of potentially being coddled or put in a bubble or I hear terminology like helicopter parenting and things of that nature. Do you think there's been a change in the risk profile for, for people? Are, are people being more cautious and, or, or do you think it's, it's just dependent on the person?
1: I think for me personally, I grew up with all brothers. I was the oldest. I was the daughter. And I had three younger brothers. And they were all athletes. And my dad was athletic. So for me, I can remember, this is when I had to figure out how to overcome failure. I remember this. It sticks with me. But I remember going to a high school football game my dad took me when I was very young. I probably wasn't in middle school yet. And I watched the cheerleaders. And I was going to be one of them. When I got to middle school, that's what I was going to do. I tried out every year for three consecutive years. And my heart was broke every single time they would call and tell me. And my mom and dad picked me up and encouraged me. And I would I would try harder. I would practice harder. I would figure it out. And I would get that disappointing again. But my in seventh grade was the first time I got the phone call that said, You You made made the the team. team. And I was never, ever going to lose that. And I think as a leader, as you're failing along the way, you learn from those and you will never make that mistake again. Mm. You know, you have that mistake and I'm going to perfect that or I'm going to surround myself with someone who can protect me from making that mistake again. That's a key thing as a leader, I think, is being able to look at yourself and say, okay, what are my weaknesses? What do I need to surround myself with? and be okay with that be vulnerable to say i have this weakness i've got to protect myself and and be able to lean on someone else to do yeah. that for you
0: there was there was quite a moment there when uh, your emotions were 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 being evoked as you went back to that yes um, i hope anyone who listens will take that as a lesson you know it's in the pain it is it's in the pain and uh, there's no greater pain than rejection. There's one greater pain than rejection, mm-hmm. and that's called betrayal yeah. by someone close to you. But other than that, rejection is a uh, – and and so I, I, I don't know why I'm – this just came up for me as you were talking, younger brothers, competitive brothers, a lot of testosterone sounds like in that household, <laughs> and you're the one woman. Have you been able to connect that with what it's like to be a executive in this world today as a woman?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. So the insurance industry is very male-dominated. You know, if you look at the top leaders in our industry, less than 10% are women in that leadership role. So I feel honored to be in a president role within the insurance industry. It also comes with a lot of responsibility. I, I feel like I have a responsibility to help other and we're not a diverse industry, help, uh, help get more diversity in our um, industry as well. I would tell you the things that have helped me a lot. And I, I do a lot of public speaking and I tell women groups that I speak to this. Um, if you don't know sports... Before you go to an event or where you're going to be interacting with men, you need to know what's going on. Like, right now, I better know what's going on with the Browns. I better know what's going on with the PGA. I better know what's going on with the Cavs. I've got to know what's going on in the sports world so I can have those conversations. Now, I was lucky with growing up with all – um, athletes in our family. Yeah, you, you I, had early
0: early education.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I can remember one time my husband and I took a group of clients to a Super Bowl. And one of the clients that was with us looked at Brent and said, my husband's Brent, and said, oh, Kim probably doesn't even know what's going on in the field. And my husband looked at him and said, mm. no, Kim can tell you the next play that's going to be called. Mm. <laughs> because I I have figured out that's how I can connect. Right. with other people. and I will tell you, um, I get asked a lot by women, do you really need to golf? And I, I golf. And I didn't golf until later in my career, but it's the only activity I know where I get four hours with someone side by side and can talk to them about family, about relationship, and can take that relationship deeper. I think yeah. it's a great thing. You don't have to be good at it, go go take a few lessons and go go play in a scramble those are great interactions
0: so it's interesting because the what you're suggesting is i grew up in a male dominated world or a heavily male oriented world and then ironically or not mm-hmm. i end up in a male dominated industry mm-hmm. and i have made myself adapted. I've adapted to this so that I can engage and get the relationships I need. What advice would you have for men Mm. who should be adapting in some way to a feminine or female-oriented executive? I mean, I'm looking for the fairness, right? I'm looking (laughs) for the justice. I'll just stop. You got an idea about... How would you advise guys who are your colleagues in the industry or, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I would why, say. Yeah,
0: I'm just saying, I, I don't think it's just a one way adjustment.
1: No, it's not. It's not. It's, a, it's both of us have to recognize it and come together. I will tell you, every one of my mentors have been men, everyone. And they've been so gracious to me, so willing to help coach me and help. Um, a lot of times it's just pushing me out of my box. As here's what I, my biggest advice for men, a couple of tips I would give men. A lot of times women um, aren't going to raise their hand. They're going to sit at their desk and they'll do, if you're their leader, they're going to do everything for you. They are going to walk through fire to make sure you are successful. That's how we are. We assume that you're seeing everything that we're doing and you're recognizing the hard work that we're doing. So when that next, um, we need you to be our champion because there are many times when the upper echelon of a company are together talking about who who's our top five candidates in the company that are ready for the next promotion. Yep. I need a champion to put my name in that in that group, and that's where women get left behind so often. I think we don't have good champions um, because. We hear the good old boy club, but it's just who you're more comfortable with, and they're the names that get put forward. Well, we need those champions to recognize the women that are on their teams, making them successful and getting their name into that mm. into that group. I think that's very, that's a big one.
0: Very powerful. So, if you're a young leader or a middle uh, of the age category leader or an old dog learning new tricks. I think the message is clear. You you know, if you're on your treadmill right now or cleaning the garage and you're listening to this podcast, listen to what we just said. When's the last time you identified and was a champion for a female leader?
1: And I, and I, with females, yes, but diverse leaders also.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's a great topic. So let's just, let's pivot there because I do think of sexual orientation mm-hmm. as a uh, differentiator in in the diversity category, along with all the others. And so I agree with you. we shouldn't we should broaden the scope of it. Being a champion is critical. But as we were talking about it from just the pure gender perspective, in the strictest sense of the the gender categories, there was definitely a call out to men to look to women and other diverse categories and ask yourself the question, mm-hmm. have you identified someone that you're going to get behind and become the champion
1: yeah.
0: and, and take them to the party and put them out there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, of course, if you did that, right, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Before you went ahead and put your name on the brand of somebody else as, the, as their champion, what would you make sure – they were doing or capable of like when you want to sponsor a champion what makes a champion to you that would have you go to bat for them and put your reputational relational capital on the line what do you need to see
1: yeah. I, I would need to have a good relationship with them. I would need to know their their history in their career. I would need to know what their aspirations are. I wouldn't want to champion someone for a position or for an opportunity that they would turn down. And so you've got to have an open conversation for, with that person before you ever become a champion. Tell me what you're looking for. Tell me what skill set you're looking to develop. Because if I see an opportunity that will help you develop that skill set, I'll put your name in the hat. Um, so it's a pretty detailed conversation and trust. You got to build trust and be because you're gonna put, as you said, you're putting yourself on the line. Absolutely. Your, rep, your reputation's on the line. With
0: Absolutely. That. Yeah. The moment I say to take uh you know, Jane or Joe or or wh- whoever. And trust what I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. They can do this. Well, there you go. You're putting your stock um, on that person.
1: Yeah. I would tell you that's probably one of the most rewarding things that has happened um, throughout my career is when I became more outward focused. Um, So a lot of people know as part of my story is I started having a breakfast and lunch every day with people I did not know. And this started – 10 years ago. (laughs) And so um, from that, every meeting I had, I tried to figure out how I could help that person. So I let the the conversation go away from me, not about me in this conversation, even though I want to sell them something or help them with something. I refocused it on them and said, what can I do to help you? Right. Those people never, ever forgot that I was willing to help them. And I would try to introduce them to at least two people within my network. And that was my constant. I have people, my network is so strong. I have people from 10 years ago that I introduced to people that still are connected to me and still reach out to me and have conversations with me yeah. about what's going on with their career, because we got down to that level. We got to know each other about what they wanted to achieve in their career or in life in general.
0: You're the consummate network. You're actually, I think you have, um, been, you've spoken on this mm-hmm. as a topic. Um, so one idea is for people just to make sure they have at least X number of breakfast or lunch. Every every week, do you actually set a goal? Do you have a numerical goal, or is it just instinctive? Now you just look at your calendar, and you know I got I got to find a lunch. I got to find a breakfast. Um,
1: before COVID, it was booked out at least a month ahead. Wow! Yeah, wow. and I had a mentor. A mentor challenged me to do that. The um, Joe Scarlett, who was chairman and CEO of Tractor Supply Company, was my mentor. Okay, and he pushed me to do that. Um, he's and he did it. He was very focused on the customers at Tractor Supply and his store managers. And so he would go out and make sure those were taking place. So he coached me to do that. And I took a leap of faith. I leaped outside my comfort zone. Yeah. Probably the most um, career-changing, pretty life-changing for me um, of those relationships I've built over time and how I've been able to give back to others.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I wish I had gotten that earlier in my career mm-hmm. because I was, I was the push salesperson. Yep. you know, um, it, there it is. It's, it's across the range. I must run to it, slay it, skin it and bring yep. it back, collect my commission, right. And go to the next one. And, uh, there's no question in my mind, you're, you're much better off entering. And I think it was somebody, uh, maybe it was like a Zig Ziglar who who would show up and his fundamental bottom line was, I'm not here to sell per se. I'm here to help you. That's right. I believe I can, mm-hmm. right? And here's what I'd recommend.
1: <laughs> yes, <And you laughs> It's know, a different way of selling. It is. It is. I would tell you probably seven to 10 years ago, Harvard Business Review would tell us for someone to make a decision to change a service provider, they that person would have to have three relationships in that company that would know who they are, who their yep. company is. Yep. Now, Harvard Business Review says that's five to seven.
0: No kidding, you
1: have to have five to seven people in that company that know, for me personally, who Highland is know someone on my team, or knows me before they're ever going to consider changing that relationship. Even
0: taking your phone call, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I think Miller-Hyman, if I recall, man, I did it 30 years ago, but mm-hmm. I remember we, we you, you would identify the economic buyer and the technical buyer, and then there's an inside coach. I yes. don't know if those roles those are still are there. Those all are still there. They're still you, there, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your inside champion or, or coach, or, and yeah, yeah, we
1: still use those yeah. techniques.
0: So, so, when you look at pivotal moments um, of- growth from the failure or from a challenge. Um, Besides the cheerleading, uh, do you have any that that have been current or in the last 10 years? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I get the sense from my own life and the people I coach, there's always a challenge around the corner. Always. Always something. Uh,
1: I would tell you, I think during covid Um, people have taken a a deep look into their own lives, everybody has, and their own values and in how they're prioritizing things. And am I prioritizing things the way that makes sense for me? Um, I will tell you probably seven years ago, I was in Nashville running our Highland Nashville office, which was a a startup. And my daughter settled in Ohio with her husband and started having grandchildren. Hmm. It was a pivotal moment for me. I started seeing my friends do all the things they do with their grandchildren because they were right there in Nashville with them. And I felt empty Hmm. that I didn't have my grandchildren right there beside me. And so I am so fortunate. I went to Mike Highland, our CEO, and sat down with him and talked to him about the struggle. Here's the struggle I'm having, Mike. And and if you could find me a path back to Ohio, mm-hmm. I would be so um honored to stay with Highland and find that path. And he looked at me and said, Kim, we can make we can look for that, but even if it isn't with Highland, we'll help you right. accomplish that. How often would a CEO say that?
0: Right. Right.
1: And so We thought in two to three years we could make that happen. And in seven months, he called me and he said, do you want Cleveland? Wow. Yeah. So how – that was a big risk. Big risk that I would have that level of trust with our CEO to have that open, honest, vulnerable conversation. And for him to step up and really listen to me and then take action, think about how loyal I am to him and the Highland organization because they helped me accomplish that.
0: Yeah. I I know the organization well, and have have worked with Highland for the last uh, more than a decade. And if there was one thing that I saw, um, that commitment to the family and the loyalty that you feel in a family is actually a critical part of the culture. It is. Um, And, you know, there's no perfect culture. Um, But if you were going to put one of the items on your culture list of things that has a powerful return Mm -hmm. for people and for the businesses, people are loyal. They stand behind each other. Somebody's got your back. So it's powerful. So the challenge then was to face, look, I'm at this stage of my life and I have this other part of who I am. Yes. This kind of gets at life balance, doesn't it? It
1: does. It does. How How do you balance it? I think a lot of people have found balance with working remotely. That's right. You know, I feel closer to my family. I don't know if it, it's been hard on families who, who have had children at home virtual right. learning as well. Um, you know, there's challenges, but I think we all found joy in that. That's we found exactly joy. Right. That's exactly And that's right. been a key word for me. Um, how do I put joy into my day every single day? Mm-hmm. How do I find joy? Um because we go through our day, we go through our tasks and our lists and um and we do what we have to do as leaders. But what do I what am I doing today that's bringing me joy or bringing someone on my team joy?
0: Right. When you look out in the next 5 years or so, um given this life balance. I mean, have you done any projecting about your 5 to 10 year? Not everyone does. I I don't. I'm 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 sort of I call myself a uh, evolutionary, opportunistic guy. I, I just kind of go, and um, I have some general direction. But how about yourself? Are you are you aiming somewhere? Do you see a a plan or a vision or f- for you? And how would you define it?
1: Yeah, I would say right now I'm in that stage where I really want to build a good succession plan for the office that I'm running for right. Highland. I want to add value to the Highland organization and help. Um, help us become a more diverse organization. Those are things that are key to me. If you think about what's that legacy I want to leave behind or how do I want to put my print on something, Mm -hmm. those would be key to me. I think we have that good diversity here in Cleveland, but how do we get that everywhere else? And then I think within our industry, Um, I get asked to speak at a lot of insurance carrier events um, about how we can bring more women into our industry and make it more diverse. And I love being able to give back that way. Um, I mentor a lot of people. That's just core to me. It's what I like doing. I give back. I um, speak at Case Western's MBA class every year. I'm involved at the University of Akron. So I love that aspect. But longer term for me, I probably will be looking at retirement in five to seven years is Mm -hmm. what's on my radar. Uh, Once that happens... um, I will want to go do disaster recovery with Red Cross. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I've done some of that um, prior to being involved with Red Cross. I helped set up um, disaster recovery areas for them um, in Nashville when I was there um, during um, one of the hurricanes that hit Louisiana. Yeah. And they brought the people up, and I was very engaged in that. And I found a passion, and I found a skill set that I was good at. And so, um, as you know, I'm on the board of Red Cross here getting ready to step into the chairwoman position. Yep. And I just feel like their mission is something that I can take forward when I'm in, um, even in retirement.
0: In retirement, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's funny, I, I'm, I'm finding for myself as uh, as well, I don't think the word retirement – is, is meaning the same thing as it did when our parents used yes. it. You know, you, you spent 35 years working for the company and you had a gold watch and you got a, a party mm-hmm. and you're 65, that's the number. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. No, I, to it's, me just the, it's,
1: it's the next, it's the next phase of life. Yes,
0: it's an expression <laughs> of your passion, your gifts. And the good part about it is at this stage, I, I, I call it you know it, at this age category roll out of bed ready you know we've we've, we've done enough we've, we've experienced enough we're in the zone and there's not a lot of prep required for most of what needs to be done out there because right been there done that and i think that's part of the gravitas yes. that comes from being a leader yes you can walk into the you could walk in any room in a thousand different arenas without knowing one thing and within five minutes you you're ready to contribute
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like you got a game
1: yeah i um i have really found joy in participating at the board level mm-hmm. of nonprofits and for-profits that's been another area that i've really yeah. enjoyed and i think that's an area that i can still contribute in as well so there'll be lots of different things i think um i love coaching people so who know, who knows yeah. what will happen next
0: yeah and you'd be great at all of them. Well, I know. It, you. It. <laughs> Do you have an an, an idea of what a, makes a great uh, board leader um, I mean, let's say in the nonprofit zone? I mean, you've been on a lot of boards and done a lot of work. Do you have an idea, especially moving into the chair position, of what you expect from board members and the way they roll, the way they operate, what will, what will you be working on to make an effective board?
1: Um Great question. I think a board is made up of a group of high-level executives that all have different skill sets that they can bring to the table. They may complement each other. They may have the same skill sets. But you want a board that has different skill sets that you can lean on as that chair or as the CEO. Who can I reach out and can help me with this issue that I'm encountering? Or who, who can I reach out and they can help me with this one? To be a great board member, you've got to have a passion about what that board's mission, about what that the mission, mission yes. As you do. Because um, when I first started doing board work, someone told me it can suck you dry. And I didn't understand what that meant. But if you don't have the passion, it's going to feel like they're constantly coming at you, asking you for something. Yes. And it doesn't always have to be monetary. It may be skill set, and that's yes. okay. And so there's lots of boards I'm involved in. I can't do the financial contributions that they want. But they want my skill set of connecting them with others. And so I'm more than willing to do that. But you've got to have board members that want to be engaged. I'm not a big proponent of being a board member that just sits there and wants that on their resume. That's not, um, I don't think that's good for anybody. Um, I want people who love the passion, can find a way to contribute, get involved in a committee, get involved in an event, get involved at some level um, so you can feel joy from it.
0: Right, right. I saw a uh, thing on LinkedIn that I, uh, I shared, and uh, the guy's opening line was, if somebody says, follow your passion, <laughs> like as a young person, he said, they're either already a billionaire, <laughs> I forget what the other one was, <laughs> but his bottom line was, if I take the net of what I've been hearing from you, you wake up and you work hard you go after it, you, you you make mistakes, you're not afraid of failure, you stretch yourself, you take your risks, and you work harder and harder and harder, and then you get from good at it to really great at it. And then he said, that's when the passion comes along. Mm-hmm. The passion comes from actually doing, you just don't wake up at 30 or 25 and go, hmm, I think I'm passionate about X. It's not that easy, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. It, you you've built to it and so now at our time in our career and our life experience and the bumps and bruises yeah now you can see what, what you're passionate about mm-hmm. what what brings you joy and 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 what flows from you mm-hmm. so i'm i'm always intrigued what leaders are thinking about the the incoming generation of workers um i have one podcast with a, a guy named chris bello who's a 30 year old, but he's entrepreneurial. He's got it. But not everyone does. So I'd be curious if you have a take on the twenty-five to thirty-ish to kind of incoming worker. What what advice, what reflections, what ideas do you have around that?
1: So I my daughter's thirty five. And my son is 29. So I have one in each each category. category. (laughs) So I can tell you, and some of it, it's very interesting watching both of them in their careers right now. My daughter is a CFO of a community foundation and very, very involved in her community. And um, she would never apply for a position unless she could check the box of every qualification. Mm. My son is in New York City. He um, works for a large company, and he will jump at anything. If he can just check three of the boxes, he'll jump at it. Hmm. So I think that risk, I think younger people are willing to take risk more than um, maybe some of our other generations. Okay. Okay. I think risk-taking is very comfortable to them. And that's why we see young people will have five to seven to 10 jobs. Yeah. You know, they're going to churn jobs. They're not going to be that – they're not going to be like us, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, that stays somewhere for 10 years. That's unheard of for them. And so as companies and leaders, how do we get them engaged? And it may be just title changes. We got to keep them engaged that they're moving up and they're progressing and we've got a very set career path for them. They've got to see a future because if they don't see it,
0: they're moving up. They're on. moving. Yeah.
1: Is that is that what you're seeing? Yeah, as well?
0: I think so. Yeah. I, I I think so. And I also have seen and been hearing when I asked this question of other guests that what's keeping people attracted to staying is different. It's not about the future. It's not, it's, everything is now based. Mm -hmm. And what am I feeling each day? And to the point you made, what's going to happen in six months and one year? And this idea of engaging and keeping them engaged, their attention spans can be short. And then the other thing, problem that I hear, though, is that there are expectations that may be unrealistic at times. That, you know, yeah, I got my MBA, so I want to make $250,000 a year and I want to be the vice president of something. Well, there's a part of earning that mm-hmm. and proving self, which I've heard some CEOs say, you know, there's a, a portion of people they're, they've overestimated their true worth. Mm-hmm. So there's a tension between those two things. Mm-hmm. Some of it is having enough time in and enough battle scars, and enough experience to have proven yourself. And then simultaneously as you mentioned, you got to keep them entertained, got to keep them engaged, and I think they also have a sense of cause. They have to feel like a real direct mm-hmm. connection that how am I helping the world? How am I helping society? And we can make those arguments pretty well, if no matter what the job is. Mm-hmm. But if you don't take the time to do so, they might miss it. So it's a great time to sort of slide into my, uh, my what I'm calling the signature question that I ask every, every guest. I don't know if I warned you about it or not, but you may have, have heard it. I like people to stand where they are now in their, in their state, in their career. You can say your age or not, it doesn't matter, but I I want you to look back at yourself as a 23-year-old and if you could give advice to that young 23-year-old Kim Riley from this place today that would carry her, maybe in a different way, Mm -hmm. what would you tell her?
1: I am 57. I'm not scared to say what my age is. <laughs> 57. And um, I would tell you, because I went to community college, I started my family very young. So at 23, I already had my daughter. And so I if I was talking to her, I would tell her to not step on people along the way. Hmm. Those people will be very valuable to you in the long run. Do not step on people. Because when you're aggressive and you're trying to get up that ladder, you're just stepping on whoever you can step on to get there. Don't do that. Mm. I, I would coach myself not to do that. I feel there's a couple times that I those bother me. I, I rethink those situations. The other thing I would tell her is go build a network. Get that mm. network of people around you early I didn't start it until 10 years ago. And my husband always says to me, how powerful would your network be if you would have started it in your 20s? Yeah. And think about that. Think about all the people that would be champions for you and that would help you in your career. And would you wouldn't have to go sca- scrape your knees as much maybe. And someone could pick you up and help walk beside you. When you're a leader and you fail – there's not very many people there to oh, pick no. you up or to encourage you for the next one. Oh, no.
0: there, there's actually a cheerleading group going, ha, ha. huh.
1: <laughs> and so how awesome would it be to have a network of people that you could have relied on to say, okay, I really messed up. Can you help bring me back out of my hole and help me find my next opportunity? Wow. Um, that's the coaching I would give her.
0: Yeah. So don't... Step on people on your way up the ladder, and build that network sooner rather than later. Fascinating, Kim. Can't thank you enough. You know, I I I knew it would be a great interview, but I didn't realize the time would fly the way it did. I feel like we just got started. Um, I try to keep them in this digestible format. You know, you're you're. I'm trying to build the followership and. People seem to find somewhere around this 40, 45 minute mark, a good mark, and you have downloaded so many great, amazing things. You like compressed it, it's packed in, yes. and it's tight. Um, I can't wait to listen to it again. I, I, I just want to commend you for the kind of leader that you are. I've known you for a, a while, I've seen what you've accomplished, and I've seen what you've contributed to the city in a, you know, nonprofit support way. I wish you well on this uh, journey at the, as the chair of the Red Cross. i also seen what you've done for the, the Highland, for the organization. You are highly respected and greatly loved. So thank you. Thank and, you so much uh, for having me. We'll see you soon. Thanks. All right, bye-bye.